Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Are you tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? Well, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, friends. As we head into the summer, we needed a little bit of time to plan for our live shows, which are happening soon, June 6th in Philadelphia, June 16th in Boston, and June 22nd in New York. It's our first little live tour in years, and we are really excited. We are also excited to be recapping a classic Bachelorette episode featuring one of the all-time great Bachelorettes, Emily Maynard. There will be laughter, there will be outrage, and there will be questionable men's fashion. Truly, a lot of it. That is season eight, episode five of The Bachelorette. You can watch it ahead of our show on Hulu. We'll be hanging out with special guests like Kelsey McKinney, Jill Chin, and Arden Marine, and hopefully many of you. So you can get tickets to those shows now at lovetoseeitpod.com slash LTSI live. That's lovetoseeitpod.com and click the LTSI live tab. This week, we are re-airing our episode from last summer on Dirty Dancing, which features a really great conversation with author and screenwriter Allison Greenberg. Dirty Dancing really contains so many timely themes, even though it is very much a period piece. Abortion rights, class warfare, and of course, a truly timeless location, the Catskills. Always in style, the Catskills. Also, always in style, we would hope, abortion rights. And And yet. yet. (laughs) Not quite as in style these days. Uh, So some important conversations and also just... We get to revel in the frivolous pleasure of Dirty Dancing's love story and impeccable dancing scenes. One of the great teen romances. Hope you enjoy. Thanks. I don't need help. Just watch me love myself. That's all I want. Got what I want. That's all I want. I'm not sorry. I'm Claire Fallon. And I'm Emma Gray. And this is Love to See It, an obsessively detailed recap podcast about reality dating shows like The Bachelor and other pop culture that makes us laugh, cry, and curse the patriarchy. We can't live with these shows and we can't live without them, but we can break down every juicy moment and unpack all the weird messages these shows send us about love, sex, and dating. Stop, 
Welcome to Love to See It, a podcast about the movies that make you think of sweltering summer days and steamy summer nights, and of course, summer love. This summer, we're going to be revisiting some of the classics of summer love. You know, the movies that really make us think of like making out under the boardwalk, sharing a single cone of ice cream with the perfect person, just those sweet summer boyfriend vibes. Yeah, the ones that you saw in movies that maybe never like personally experienced, but it's fine. It's really fine. This week, we're kicking off with maybe the most perfect summer romance film we could think of, Dirty Dancing. It is simply a perfect film. And here to talk about it all with us is the perfect person, the author of lovely novel, Bad Luck Bridesmaid, and just, I'd say, a general rom-com aficionado, Allison Greenberg. Thank you guys for having me. I am honored. Allison, we're so excited. I literally could not think of a better person to talk about this perfect film with. I mean, God, Dirty Dancing has it all. Everything. I mean, we we, we say like rom-com. Uh, is, is Dirty Dancing a rom-com? I feel like that's like such a big question about the movie. Like a rom-dramedy, maybe, yeah. I'd say. I think it's like a romance novel come to, come to screen, which I don't think we see often enough. Like it has the, there's some humor, but the focus is more on the passion and like the wrong side of the tracks love, you know, with the the good girl from, from the nice family. Um, so let's start by talking about our experiences with Dirty Dancing a little bit. When did you first see the movie, Allison? It had to have been mid-90s. I had a mother who tried to keep me from watching anything sexy for so long. Um, (laughs) So I feel like this came about right when I I got my hands on Pretty Woman for the first time. I got my hands on Dirty Dancing. I had a best friend who had like all the movies and her mom didn't care. So it was definitely a sleepover movie for me. And I remember being obsessed and not really understanding probably in any way, shape or form how big the abortion subplot was or, you know, the age difference. And I just remember the chemistry and the dancing and the music like that for me. And then rewatching it as an adult has been a whole other experience, I think. And how oddly, uh, like before it's time it was and how it holds up. It's just, it's so interesting to me. I never thought about it that way as a kid. I just thought it was so sexy. Yeah. It really is a movie that like operates on many levels. Um, It definitely was a sleepover movie for me as well, but this was a movie that I think my mom introduced me to. Like, she... My mom was, like, a huge romantic movie person. Like, she basically did all of my classic rom-com and rom-drom education. Like, you know, when we were going to Blockbuster, like, we were going to rent while you were sleeping. And, like, I was going to enjoy it. And working, girl. (laughs) And Dirty Dancing was kind of part of that. Um, And then it was totally a movie that I would watch with friends on VHS at sleepovers. And we would, like, try to do some of the dance sequences as the opening credits were playing. We were like, we, too, can sexy dance. Uh, So it was just, like, aspirational. In that way. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, the movie came out in 1987, so we could all have seen it as early as our parents would let us. I could have seen it yeah. as an infant. But I think I actually didn't see it 
until I was well into my teens. I'm trying to even think back. I think that I was in the house that we didn't move into until I was like 17. Um, Because it just, we never happened to watch it at any of my sleepovers. My best friend and I used to watch Moulin Rouge like every time we had a sleepover, (laughs) which I think is actually in the same genre of sleepover movies. I feel like there's actually some, uh, you know, they're like cousins a little bit in terms of the vibe. It's like, you're not going to be like, dad, older brother, younger brother, let's watch this movie about a beautiful woman and a handsome man who fall in love and have a passionate affair. Like, you have to do that with with your girlfriends. But um, yeah, I think that when I first saw it, a lot of it went over my head as well. Like, the abortion subplot just sort of feels like a bit of a, like a MacGuffin in a certain sense at that age. You're just like, oh... Something has to happen for Johnny and Baby to have to spend all this time together learning how to dance. And Penny's off somewhere having a procedure. I don't have too many questions about <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah, you're like, you're like, yes, this feels essential, but only in the sense that it is obviously yeah. what brings our main characters together. Yeah. So you, it can sort of subtly like wash over you, which I think is part of the movie's brilliance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it plays into that. Like, it's like the narcissism of young love that, like, every teenage girl watching relates to. They're just like, all I can think about is, like, how me falling in love with a handsome man is, like, the only thing that matters. Like, everything else is peripheral. Um, And, yeah, re-watching it later in life, it it seems much much more striking and prominent. Um, Did you guys re-watch the movie recently? I did it last night and I had my daughter playing like Legos and drawing below me and she's seven. <laughs> and so she would look up every time there was music and dancing and then look back down every time there was some, you know, the dialogue instrumental comes in. <laughs> yes, yes. And she's like, this is sexy dancing. That's what she told me. Um, she's not wrong. Dancing. She's so sad. I mean, the 80s were so cheesy. I actually rewatched oh, Top yeah. Gun because I went and saw Top Gun. I rewatched the original as well in the past week. And it's the vibe of the eighties. It was like just insane chemistry that you, I don't think you can get away with it now. Like, like the sex scene and that dancing that turns into the sex scene. I don't think it just, no one else could do it, but them like that chemistry was so great. And same with Top Gun, like the chemistry was so great that you, you can have these bizarre backlit silhouetted sex scenes that, that are slow moving and shoot way too close up on faces. And, and you're like, wow, this is sexy. This yeah, you're like, good. they sold it. They managed to sell it beyond the cheesiness of it. It feels it feels like a bit of a culture gap, just like generationally, where I'm like, did it seem insanely corny at the time? Or did it just seem like this is the way to be sexy back then and everyone takes it very seriously? Because <laughs> I'm watching the scenes where Johnny is being really sexy, doing his ballroom dancing and in his little like tiny tank tops. And I'm like, that just isn't what sexiness looks like now. It's hard to take it seriously. And yet you also get seduced by it, as you say, because it's, they're able to, to bring that chemistry to play on you. But man, I guess the whole decade, everyone was just like really into cheesy shit. And they no were no one was like slamming people against walls. It was more of just like this slow moving. It was sensual. Sensual. <laughs> that's the word. Sen- we're, now we're like, choke me and throw me against a wall. And then we yeah. were like, now we have looking. shows like Netflix's yeah. premiere um, romantic drama, Sex Life, Sex Slash Life, oh, which, you know, if you, I mean, it's, it's corny in its own way. 
Corny in a very different way. Corny in a way that uh, doesn't work and is extremely self-serious. In a much grimmer way. A much grimmer way. Um, It's like we go from like, let me just like gently lay you backward and swing your hair around in a circle and then kiss your neck to like, we're having sex in a subway tunnel. Like that's... (laughs) That's the date. It's Take a it or leave literal it. Literal railing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so I've also rewatched it. And yeah, I have to say, felt a lot different rewatching it as an adult. Uh, there's a lot more a lot more that you notice, but but let's get into the the blow by blow a little bit. Yeah, of, I think we we need to do like a little condensed let's the summary groundwork. before we kind of go into the themes that this movie brings up because it it brings up a lot and there's a lot of like meaty shit to kind of dive into. Claire, do you want to, you are the, yeah. the consummate. Uh, <laughs> this is my moment. Yeah, this recap. is your moment to shine. Give us the blow by blow. <laughs> I will be silent for the rest of the episode. No. <laughs> uh, it, <laughs> so it's set in the summer of 1963. This is something I think I actually didn't understand when I first watched the movie, which is that it was a period piece. Like yes. it was set. 25 years before it came out. Because when you're a little kid, you're like 60s, 80s. Eh, it was in it's the past. It's, Seems like it's in the all past. old stuff. <laughs> I think the idea that I, I didn't really understand that period pieces existed before today. I was like, stuff that's in the past is all from just the past and it's contemporary <laughs> and stuff from now can be set in the past or now. Um, it's different. <laughs> um, so it is set uh, during one summer at Kellerman's, a resort in the Catskills. And our heroine is Baby. She is the younger and, I would say, pet daughter of Dr. Hausman. Oh, yeah. Yes, a, a doctor from New York who's just like a do-gutter, sort of social justice-minded man. And he's very proud of his, his daughter who has similar values and aspirations. She wants to go to Mount Holyoke. She's going to start in the fall and study, like, the economics of developing nations or something <laughs> and, like, change the world by studying economics, which... And going to tell the me Peace Tell me it's the Corps. 80s without telling me it's the 80s. <laughs> yeah, and she's going to go to the Peace Corps. Mostly his other daughter just sucks. So, like, he puts all his love and hope into baby. Oh, I wrote, I wrote, her older sister, Lisa, wishes she brought more than 10 pairs of shoes. This is her personality. <laughs> Poor Lisa. That's all I was oh. thinking on my rewatch. I was like, oh, man. And that song, It's Worse Than You Remember It, where she does oh, that, that song. Oh, brutal. I actually rewatched it twice this weekend. Um, and <laughs> it was worse the second time, somehow, even in that short of a span of rewatching. Um, poor Lisa. She just wants to have the coral shoes that go with the dress and for her hair not to be frizzy. And, and you know what? I, I, I Sometimes I have similar aspirations, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's, it's a sort of classic uh, Catskill resort summer. There are merengue lessons, there's charades in the lobby, there are events where they all try on wigs for some reason. Uh, they're, you know, every night they have dinner with table service, there's swimming, there's pinochle. And amid all of this, I think that the housemans are supposed to be there for about three weeks or a month um, at the end of the summer. Baby becomes really fascinated with the dancing instructors, Johnny and Penny. Uh, Penny used to be a rockette and is a very talented dancer. Johnny is just uh, Patrick Swayze. That's all. Just a really incredibly handsome, talented dancer. And one one night, she is 
being escorted to the kitchen by the son of the resort owner, Neil Kellerman, who is trying to squire her through this month of the summer. Neil? And I just have to say, <laughs> is such an incredible character upon rewatch. He is like perfectly played and so repellent. I <laughs> love it. They didn't try to make his character nuanced. He is just deeply unpleasant. <laughs> And he escorts her to the kitchen to impress her with, like, an after-hours treat. And she sees Penny crying in a, in a dark corner. And she summons Johnny and sort of just hangs around while Johnny deals with the situation and learns that what's going on is that Penny is pregnant. She had been involved with Robbie, who is a Yale medical student and waiter, who has also incidentally been flirting with baby's sister, Lisa, and that Robbie got her pregnant and is now refusing to pay for an abortion, which is also illegal. But they do have a hookup. They know someone who could do it. They just need $250. And so baby tries to help by getting Penny money for the abortion fund by telling her father that she just needs $250 to help someone for a non-illegal reason. (laughs) definitely not illegal. Of course, you just can't tell him what it is. Also, I just want to say that like $250 in 1963 is like equivalent to almost like $2,500 today. It's a lot it's of a money. Lot of like money. All, the other, all the other staff are like, we'll help you pay for the abortion. She's like, it wouldn't be enough. Um, yeah, it's, this is, this is the future that we're staring down. Um, and so she gets the money, but then she learns there's another hurdle, which is that Penny needs to do a mambo performance with Johnny at another resort. It's necessary. The Sheldrake. It's necessary. It's in their contract. They have to dance for three they're minutes. They're going to or lose their contract is canceled. Gig. Okay. They're gonna. They're gonna be in breach of contract. They're not gonna get paid if they don't do this three minute dance. I can't emphasize enough that they get these people all the way over to the resort to do one mambo for three. <laughs> it's minutes. also kind of wild that like she can't do. It. I, I kept rewatching going this inciting incident like the abortion. Yes, and then it's so flimsy how it, it, it makes it about this dance that ends up being not even a big I don't know it's just interesting to me I don't even know if they needed to do this dance and why they didn't go into it that deeply you just but have to accept just, it just sucked in they'll yes. lose they this year's contract they'll lose the contract okay they and it's the, the only it's the only day that this doctor is going to be a new pulse of course of course and and so he has to do it at that time and so They're like, well, who could take Penny's place? She has to do it and then just have a baby. She has to have a baby because she can't miss this one mambo unless, unless baby wants to help. And baby's like, sure. I mean, I will learn the mambo. (laughs) We already knew at this point that baby can move her hips. We saw her carry a watermelon. We saw her get an initial little on the fly lesson from Johnny. And like, she has promise. Yeah. He, he was teaching her to grind, like, let's be real. But he's like, you know, we can work with that. We start with the grinding, we work backwards to the mambo. Um, and so she agrees, and she and Johnny just have to spend a lot of time together over the course of some hot, rainy, sunny summer days practicing the mambo and teaching her to keep her head up and her frame locked you know, don't look down, don't look at your feet, frame locked, head up. And, you know, they they do the iconic dance on the log together. They they do some, like, really fun scenes where uh, Penny is, like, helping them. And so 
Johnny is like dancing with Baby, and then Penny is like behind her, like holding dancing her with her. Shoulders. Yeah, like it's like very menage. We'll get into that. And uh, during this perf- this practice, she and Johnny become very close. They get a, a nice rapport going. They end up doing the performance. Penny goes to get her abortion. It com- it goes okay. I would say Baby looks very shaky, and she does chicken out on the lift, so it's not her big triumphant moment. Um, but they get through it. They don't break their contract. They come back on a high and discover that the doctor has badly botched Penny's abortion. She's bleeding. She's in a lot of pain. And so Baby gets her father, who's a doctor, and wakes him up in the middle of the night, and he treats Penny... But he also, in the course of this visit, gets the strong impression that Johnny got Penny pregnant, perhaps because when he asks who's responsible for this woman, Johnny says, I am. (laughs) I guess not thinking through what responsible for might mean. And it's also clear that Johnny and Baby are quite close from what Dr. Hausman sees. So he is very upset after this. He's like, you need to never see those people again. You're, You're not to have anything to do with them. You're not the person I thought you were. I don't know who you are. He also realizes that that is what his money was uh, likely funding. He's like, you told me it was nothing illegal. Well, she probably would have told you what it was for then. I don't know. (laughs) Um, And so over the course of the summer, Baby just ignores him. She keeps sneaking around with Johnny. Um, In fact, the same night, I think she goes back to Johnny's place and they hook up and in the mood like a botched abortion (laughs) i know i was like johnny's like best friend is like bleeding out in the other room and he's like on the other hand baby's amazing guys trauma bonding very real very powerful (laughs) it's really true um and so as the summer goes on they're sort of in this secret romance but There's some tension. Like, he clearly is frustrated that he's not allowed to share his modern dance ideas with the Kellermans. And she's like, well, you need to just keep trying and stand up for yourself. And he's like, you won't even tell your dad that I'm your man. And so there's this fundamental question of, like, can Baby really shake off her, like, good girl, her good girl shell in order to, like— espouse the values that she claims to espouse of, like, always fighting for what's right and what she believes in. And then it comes to a head when there is a series of wallet thefts. I love reading the plot where I'm just like, this is an insane movie, but it's also a perfect movie. Uh, One of the older women whose husband is very wealthy and only comes up for the weekends, we see in an earlier scene that the owner of the resort refers to them kind of creepily as bungalow bunnies. And she clearly has like a sexual fascination with Johnny and she has her husband offer Johnny money to keep her occupied with extra dance lessons one night while he is going to be in an an all-night card game. And Johnny, with baby looking on, is like, I actually can't. I don't have time for these lessons, so I can't take your money. And he returns it. That night, the man's wallet is stolen from his jacket, and the rebuffed woman accuses Johnny, apparently in retaliation. She's also seen him kissing baby later that night. Um, And baby hears about this from the Kellermans and that Johnny is the suspect and that he's going to be fired. And she's desperate. 
she's like, I have to stop this. I know Johnny didn't do it. He was in his room all night. And the reason I know that is because I was with him. She then also, like, accuses an elderly couple that she has seen with several wallets. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, they probably did it. And you know what? She's right. She's so She's correct. So her methods are vindicated. Johnny is cleared of stealing the wallets, but he is still fired for sleeping with one of the customer's teenage daughters. And Dr. Houseman is now real, real mad. He is giving baby the full silent treatment. Um, But... Things have been repaired a little bit with Lisa because Lisa was going to sleep with Robbie, who has been flirting with her all summer. Baby warns her not to and is like, he's not the guy for you. Lisa tries to go to his bungalow to surprise him anyway and discovers him in bed with the bungalow bunny and realizes that Baby was just looking out for her, knows what's up. And so they've begun to bond. Johnny leaves They don't break up, it seems like. But this is all building towards the final night of the summer at the resort. And there's going to be, like, a big talent show. Lisa's going to be singing a song that I can only describe as screechy and yodeling. (laughs) Yodel. It's very yodely. It really is. (laughs) Um, And and Baby is going to sit in the corner like she does. And... As they are singing their final song, which appears to be the resort song about joining hand and heart and hand and voice and soul and spirit, and it's being led by Neil Kellerman, of all people, (laughs) Patrick Swayze comes in and says, nobody puts baby in a corner, and pulls her up on stage to do a modernized version of the mamba that they have learned to a song in a style that would not exist for another 20 years, I've had the time of my life. I Big mean. hit of 1987, made for this movie. Perfection. <laughs> Every last they, song at a wedding for a reason. Exactly. <laughs> the best. They, you know, they do their, their, real, their spiced up modern version of this song. All of the staff that we have seen having much more free and creative dance sessions at their after parties together are, are waiting in the wings and they all come and join in the dance. And then the guests all join the dance and everyone's dancing to these Cuban rhythms and like more like modern, modern music and... This is the scene where everything kind of comes together and is resolved. Because during this song, Dr. Hausman also learns that Robbie, not Johnny, was the one who knocked up Penny. He also sees how Baby is with Johnny on stage, that she's unlocked another side of herself, and he softens toward Johnny and toward Baby. And everyone just kind of comes together in this beautiful... Um, uniting moment where their differences don't feel so so meaningful and they're able to join hand and heart and voice and hand together. And that brings us to the end of the movie. Oh, it's beautiful. Did I miss anything? No, that was <laughs> incredible, so Claire. You really, you wow. really just like went for it. And I think I think that you hit all of the high points. We can, you know, go a little deeper on on certain details in our thematic discussion. But I feel like if anyone hasn't seen this movie, 
You get shame the idea. No, First also, shame on you. Also, shame yeah. on you. Also, yeah. shame on you. Uh, also, why would you deny yourself that joy? You know, you could just be happy for an hour and a half. Why not give yourself that? So there are so many things we wanted to talk about in this movie, but Emma, I know that one thing that was really important to you to discuss was just the the setting of the movie. Can you can you get us started? Yes. So I have a lot of feelings about the fundamental Jewishness of this movie and its setting in the Catskills, specifically in what was colloquially known at the time as the Borscht Belt. Um Kellerman's is kind of based on like a really famous Catskills resort, Grossinger's, that existed at the time. And like these sort of long-term family camps um, were like a really, really key part of specifically like middle-class Ashkenazi Jewish life from like the 20s to the 60s up to like the 70s, I think is when most of them ended up closing down. Although I will say that Recently, the region and a lot of these old resorts have had a bit of a resurgence, I think, in part because of the pandemic and people having, like, more flexible work schedules and stuff. Um, But, yeah, I love how this movie is really, really Jewish without being sort of— without it being so overt. Like, that is not really— something that is discussed overtly, but it's coded everywhere. Obviously, the resort is called Kellerman's. Um, And I think that Eleanor Bergstein, who wrote this movie, did an incredible job of showing the way that this segment of the Jewish community both formed these social uh, and cultural traditions because of anti-Semitism. You know, a lot of Jews weren't allowed into, like, country clubs and the more waspy resorts in the Catskills at the time. And this was sort of like this alternative little Jewish summer society that ended up emerging. And at the same time, the movie really doesn't shy away from, like, its in-group critique about the classism and the underlying racism that could exist in these, like, white, um, wealthy Jewish circles. And, like, that just, I think, is so, so smartly done. And it just, like, Dirty Dancing really captures kind of the end of the Borscht Belt's golden era. Mm -hmm. And I fucking love it. Allison, I know, as a, a fellow Jewish lady, did the Jewishness of the movie strike you? It the like the next time watching it, and I watched it, I think like a year and a half ago, and then watching it again, it totally struck me. And I think also, you know, if it's set at what 1963, we're not that far out from the Holocaust, too. So these places were so important for rebuilding Jewish identity and, um, you know, and celebrating Jewish identity. And then also, you know, I look at Robbie and I'm like, oh my God, that's the guy who my dad would have totally given money to for medical, you know, this is a nice Jewish guy, <laughs> mm-hmm. male medical school. And if my dad had seen me dancing with Johnny, he would have lost his mind. And it felt like <laughs> very much like, you know, a situation I could have seen myself in, in that time. Um, and with, you know, a class divide, but also with this Jewish identity that was so important to a race that was rebuilding itself to people who were re- rebuilding themselves. Um, and I think it's so interesting that those places don't really exist anymore. It's sort of, they died out in the eighties for the most part, um, yeah. which is even, which is now feels almost really probable. It's so much of this 
of watching this is so problematic because it feels like so much in this movie is necessary to talk about again, or or we need safe havens, or we need these things in place that you know we thought we wouldn't probably in '87. Um, but yeah, the Jewishness of it and the and the setting was it felt it felt like home in so many ways, and I'm sure our parents can say they've been to places like that or those places exactly their families. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I mean Jennifer Grey is such a recognizably Jewish actress also. And like, you know, there's been a lot of conversation about the way that, you know, even you look at like The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which did have a great um, few episodes set at a similar Catskills resort. But like a lot of those main actors are are playing Jewish characters um, and are not Jewish themselves. And there is like a long history of that. And so I think for me also to like see an overtly Jewish woman playing this overtly Jewish character and um, being coded as like desirable and full of potential was something that was really meaningful and probably didn't like strike me so consciously when I first saw it, but has definitely sat with me since then. Agreed. Yeah. I've read like some critiques that it's not mentioned enough in Dirty Dancing that, like, the, there are no, like, overt discussions of Jewishness or, you know, religious belief or, um, you know, the fact that, like, Johnny clearly isn't Jewish and that, you know, this is, you know, baby is and her family is and that not that all of that is sort of, like, I saw the word scrubbed used in some, some places, but there's also a way in which it's, like, very clearly present if you know what you're looking for. And yes. I don't know if that's quite the same thing as it being absent. Yeah, I agree. I actually think it works better because it's not, they're not sitting around being like, and now we will do the Sabbath prayer. Like, the reality <laughs> of a lot of Jewish life in the United States is that it is cultural rather than overtly religious. And so to me, that makes this movie more honest about the Jewish experience um, and more familiar to me personally. And certainly this was like based in large part on experiences that the writer Eleanor Bergstein um, had had as a child going with her parents, her doctor father and her mother um, to Borscht Belt resorts and also like engaging in secret like basement dirty dancing. So, yeah. you know, there is like an honesty, I think, kind of yeah. baked into the screenplay. I love the detail that in 1997, she described herself as a teenage mambo queen to the New York Times. <laughs> Apparently, I was a teenage mambo queen was actually the alternate title for the movie because a lot of people actually objected, including some of Patrick Swayze. the co-stars. Patrick Swayze <laughs> hated it. And I understand, like, it, I think that that's one reason I didn't watch it for so long. I was such a prudish little Catholic schoolgirl. And it does sound sort of porny, I think, that, that I, I felt. And that's, that's what the objection was at the time. Like, how are we going to get people to come see this movie in theaters? It sounds like a porn. But I Was a Teenage Mambo Queen actually does not have the same Horrible. appeal no. either. I would definitely would never have seen it if that was the name. I think they had to scrub the name while filming, too, because they wanted to make sure the locations didn't kick them out. So they wanted to make it sound like it was this really nice dancing movie and dirty dancing on the script when you did location setting you know, no one wanted to have their beautiful Catskills resort, you know, look like it was, again, dirty. Yeah. Um, so yeah. basement think, dancing or, you know, whatever, whatever that evokes. Yeah, exactly. Um, no one wanted to be associated with that. 
I, I also love that she also had an older sister and just like imagining her actual older sister <laughs> watching Lisa on screen. Rough. Rough. <laughs> Brutal. Younger siblings, you you know, they're sneaky. You don't realize how hard they're judging you. Um, yeah, I, I think that uh, there's a lot even to dig into with what we've already touched on about this element, like the, you know, the good Jewish boy, Robbie, and and the 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 entertainment staff like Johnny and the divide um, between how they're perceived by the, by the owners of the resort and the parents. But I think we should take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk a little bit more about the clasp and racial politics of Dirty Dancing. Can you keep up? I like love it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes there will be something that is just like nagging at me, bothering me about something in my life. And I just swirl it around and around and around in my head and don't quite know how to address it. And something that can really help me sort that through and like take action is therapy. I completely agree. I've been really stressed lately because I've just been getting sick over and over again. And before I know it, I'm feeling a lot of emotions and I don't even connect where they're coming from with the actual origin. We all carry around these stressors, right? And when we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a great safe space to get things off of your chest and figure out how to actually work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash love to see it today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash love to see it. Okay, so you got engaged. Congrats. Now you may be wondering what comes next. If you're planning a wedding, the first thing you need to know about is Zola. With Zola, you can plan your entire wedding in one convenient place. From the day you get engaged and search for the venue to the day you send out your save the dates, make your registry, and even taste your cake. Zola has literally everything you need to make the whole process super easy and actually even enjoyable. There's even a five-star app that helps you plan on the go or, you know, from your couch, which is certainly how, uh, if I was planning a wedding, I would definitely want to do it as loungily as possible. <laughs> so important. I also just know myself. I, I know that planning any kind of event, like even a birthday party can get very stressful. And so it's been really cool to see friends use Zola. It really seems to make everything a lot less stressful. And as a frequent wedding attender, I love to be able to hop on that Zola registry and just purchase a gift. Easy peasy. I know I've done it. I won't forget. Thank you, Zola. Yeah, everything's all in the same place. It's perfect. Start planning at Zola.com. That's Z-O-L-A.com. Anyone who's been listening to this podcast for a while or even not that long knows that we love Article. I mean, honestly, I'm looking around my home right now. Coffee tables from Article, that lovely chair out on my deck, Article, our big console, Article, I'm my bed frame, Article. This is an Article household. It is. And it's, I mean, it was an inspiration to me. We finally got our first Article piece of furniture recently, our new couch. And 
my husband and I are both constantly just like, how did we live before this couch? This is such an improvement over what we had before. It's so comfortable. It just seems to get more comfortable every day. I mean, it's the couch you dream of. And the reason that we have both been able to find ideal furniture on Article is because Article believes in delightful design for every home. And thanks to their online-only model, they have some really delightful prices, too. Their curated assortment of mid-century modern, coastal, industrial, Scandi, and boho designs makes furniture shopping simple. And their team of designers are all about finding that perfect balance between style, quality, and price because we all want the best of all of those three things united in one piece of furniture, right? Plus, they're dedicated to thoughtful craftsmanship that stands the test of time and, you know, looks good doing it. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash LTSI, and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash LTSI for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. And we're back, and it is time to talk about some of those deeper issues that are kind of subtly embedded into dirty dancing. As Claire said before, um, you know, obviously these resorts existed in part as a reaction to anti-Semitism, but there also were these very obvious hierarchies even within that subculture. And that's something that dirty dancing, I think, does a really good job of illustrating. You obviously have the guests, some of them being very powerful, either connected to the resort owners or like privileged guests like the bungalow bunnies who are known to kind of spend a lot of money and so are are sort of given greater leeway um, by the staff. And then you have kind of the first tier of staffers, those like golden Jewish, well-educated, you know, summer job kids who are meant to consort with the daughters as uh, the owner says in a just very Beautifully. Um, Even the dogs. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, Max. Gross. No one wants to feel like their daughter is too much of a dog to be flirted with by a waiter who goes to Yale Medical School. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, But I thought that that scene was actually really important to kind of setting up setting up what the expectations are. Um, It's not not a light touch. It's very heavy-handed. It's overt. They're like, to be clear, these guys are supposed to flirt with the guests and those people, those non-Jewish, largely um, poor, potentially not college-educated entertainment staff, they are kind of like the bottom class of of this, like, resort society. Um, And Max is like, your job is just to keep the guests happy, teach them some dancing, but hands off. Like, do not touch anyone this is not yeah. part of what's on what's on the menu for you the way that it is for these Yale educated yeah. nice Jewish boys. Yeah, it's like this is these these girls are going to marry those guys. Right. You're yeah. the eye candy you know and that's that's your job. There's something about this scene um that made me think about debutante culture a lot and and um you know, we I really loved the the book about um, debutante culture um, in England and the U.S. Uh, the season, um, 
that sort of dug into one world uh, in which people, you know, try to set up a way for their money daughters to meet the right young men. And this is its own very specific version of that, which is like, you have a good job, your son goes to college, and in the summer, he works at a resort to make, you know, money to buy a nice car. And, you know, then he'll go back to like law school at Harvard in the fall. And your daughter is going to be at the resort taking dance lessons and like fixing her bangs. And she's going to be introduced to these young men who have a good work ethic and a good pedigree and a good education. And like, you don't really see like young adult men as much in the guests. Like, this is a professional ladder that they're climbing. Like, they're going to go to college and start working as soon as they're maybe out of high school. And the daughters are being a little bit more decorative. even as they get their, like, MRS degrees, and then they mangle in these controlled ways. And that's a whole different question from, like, if you're a professional, like, saxophonist in the band or whatever. Like, you're not supposed to, to, that you're not one of the people that the, the, the wealthy, you know, lawyers and doctors who come to this resort want for their daughter. Um, And so it is a lot about, like, making sure that your young daughters are paired off in the way that you that you see fit. I think this movie also just is so sharp in the way that it critiques the biases that can exist even in a community that is itself like overtly um, and proudly liberal. Like this is not the same as debutante culture in the sense that that's like a really fundamentally conservative waspy tradition for the most part. And I think the things that drive those forces within the Jewish community, like they come from a different place, right? Like in a lot of ways, it is a reaction to oppression. And at the same time, there is that like anxiety that you can sense about the like precarious place that Jews um, occupy, especially within the United States, especially post-Holocaust. And this like desire to to curate how your kids will will exist and carry on those traditions moving forward. And that's why we see, like, you know, Dr. Houseman wanting baby to be educated, wanting her to explore her passions, but, like, in the right way, in the way that will keep her safe, in the way that will allow her to eventually partner with someone who's, like, worthy of her, quote-unquote. And he has very specific limiting ideas of what that, like, worthiness connotes. Another moment that, like, really struck me re-watching it was when um, Neil Kellerman is, like, talking to Baby about what she's studying. And he's like, yeah, you know, after the summer, me and some of the bus boys are going down south. We're, like, going freedom riding. And I thought that one line was just like, wow, it spoke to so much the way that, like, first of all, Jews were really involved in the civil rights movement, but also to a lot of the tensions that arose between, you know, the Jewish vision of what it meant to be involved in that movement and, like, the racial tensions that um, did arise as a result. And you see, like, Neil sort of using this really important action as a way to, like, signal to baby that he's a good person. Like, yeah, for him, so a freedom it's, ride it's is a pickup prop. line. Yeah, it's a pickup mm-hmm. line. It's a prop. And, like, I just think Eleanor Bergstein does such a good job of including these little references 
that speak to like such a, a sharp and incisive critique of of that like form of performative activism. And of like having the, I think this movie is just so ahead of its time with talking about privilege, yeah. right? And acknowledging the privilege of all these people there. And, you know, they can, they don't need the money to get through the summer and they can go and, you know, be civil rights activists if they want. They can do whatever they want and use it as a pickup line or maybe can just hand money over to a problem and fix it. And I think it's like, you know, Penny and Johnny do a great job of helping baby to acknowledge her privilege um, and understand it. And maybe they're a little harsh on her too, because I think actually in so many ways, her standing up to her father and asking for these things is a big deal for her as a character. Um, But I I think it is really wonderful in this movie to see it brought up. I, I don't, you know, there's movies now where they bring it up just to hit it on its head before, you know, a critic yeah. goes at them. I feel like in, they didn't have to do that um, in 1987. You know, and she did, which to me is so interesting. Um, and to that point, like, I don't think that they're being harsh on her in a sense of they want to punish her for having privilege or like, they're just like, now I really have one up on her. They're, they're, they're coming at baby from a perspective of here is a, like, to us, almost a child. Like, we work, we've worked for years, we take care of ourselves, we live in a hard world where there's no leeway given to us, there's no safety net. She doesn't understand any of that. And she wants to be here in these tough conversations and offer solutions. Well, she needs to prove to us that she has what it takes to really be part of this. And if she doesn't, then she can go back to, like, playing pinochle with her family or, you know solving jigsaw puzzles and that's them protecting themselves right like from from someone who wants to kind of you know moonlight you know or as Robbie gracefully puts it later (laughs) slum it you know and have a little bit of fun by you know goggling at the glamorous dancers with their exotic problems and once they see that she's kind of good for it, they're like, great, she's our best friend now. We love baby, <laughs> our 18-year-old's, like, Mount Holyoke-bound best friend. It is this kind of um, more subtle version of, like, I think the the enemies to lovers trope that you see in a lot of, like, hit-you-over-the-head Hallmark movies, where it is, like, two people who are fundamentally good but have their own sets of baggage and their own sets of preconceived notions for in large part good reason, especially, you know, when it comes to Johnny and Penny. Um, And by way of like having challenges thrown at them and also dancing because it's the universal language of love, um, (laughs) they are able to like overcome those preconceived notions and like fall in love. It's it's even grumpy in sunshine, I would say, because for her, she loves him the second she sees him, right? And he looks at her, and I think the problem with Baby is her name. First of all, they infantilize her the entire movie, but mm-hmm. I think don't he doesn't take her seriously from the second he looks at her. And so I think for him, yes, maybe enemies to lovers, but I saw it kind of as like a definitely more heightened and more, you know, smarter, intelligent, kind of grumpy in sunshine, Right where she is, yes, the world has only yeah. at the the road has yes. only ever been paved in gold for her, and for him, it's been a fucking rough road where the car breaks down, and and I think it's just seeing him, kind of seeing her sunlight shine on him, and him finally like embrace it is what makes this movie so sexy and like, and what also brings her out of this baby space, right, which is 
what she's trying to break out of the whole time. Yeah, no, I think that's a really smart point. I think you're completely right. And like, because I have read a lot of romance novels, including some that came out a long time ago that are don't hold up politically, so to speak. But there is also a, a, a genre of romance novels that is about like young girls being kind of trained by their partners um, to be kind of like the ideal partner for them. Anyway, this isn't no. that bad, but like, there, <laughs> oh I think it does sort of fit somewhat into this genre where like she is being like initiated into the ways of like sensuality by Johnny and being like taught his his way of being in in a dance and therefore sort of by extension like in a physical and or romantic uh, relationship and. That's something that is just a classic rom-com staple, like the virginal girl who is sort of in- inducted into the ways of the world by a man who is like, maybe he's a rake or he's sort of more experienced and hardened in certain ways. Um, and from him, she is like shown the whole world of of sensuality. Yeah. And he's also like, she's given this kind of freedom of exploration. Like I think at the end, you don't necessarily feel like these people are going to be together forever, right? Like, we're in that, and that's kind of the beauty mm-hmm. of the summer romantic narrative as a whole. Like, it gets to be self-contained and still feel complete. Like, on vacation, you're allowed to explore different sides of yourself. Like, I just watched um, the new Hulu rom-com, Fire Island. Ooh, oh, it's I've heard fantastic. Yeah, it's very fantastic queer rom-com, but it plays with a lot of these tropes about what it means to like be in a different setting and get to try on different versions of yourself and then like what that can kind of unlock specifically romantically. And I think that this movie does the same. It's like baby baby's path has been clear. She knows what her role is within her family. She knows what her role is within the world, or she thinks she does. And suddenly she meets baby and Penny and she's like, the world is so much bigger than my community. Like my, and, and the dancing is a stand in for, for that freedom and that exploration. Like suddenly she can, she can move her hips and her waist in ways she never thought she could before. And like, how fucking freeing is that? Let's talk just briefly about the watermelon scene. <laughs> One of the most iconic oh, scenes in this movie. So good. This is when Baby really gets uh, involved in the social lives of the staff before she has seen Penny crying and and gets even more entangled. She has sort of befriended uh, the the young man who carried the, their family's luggage, Billy. And he turns out to be Johnny's cousin. And she sees him struggling with two watermelons headed up to someplace over the hill. And she's like, let me help you. Let me come with you. And he's like, no, it's staff only. Like, your dad would kill you. You know, I'd be fired. You can't come. But she talks her way in. She carries a watermelon with him. And there's a moment where he takes both watermelons and he turns his back to the double doors. And he just bashes them open with his back and they fly open and he drops the watermelons and the room is just packed with couples of all different like races 
dancing in a way that Penny has never seen before because it's the staff. It's not just like the waiters. It's the people who are professional, like resort workers and entertainment workers. And unlike the, the sort of the ballroom that we would see for the customers, it's, you know, it's not just a homogenous group. It's people who are Latinx. It's people who are Black and people who are from working class backgrounds. And they're all dancing in this way that is completely new to baby. And so it's like this whole new world in so many ways has just like exploded open in front of her. I just love the way that he just bangs the door open. And it's like, bam. I think the first time I saw the movie, I thought that guy was going to be the love interest. Me too. He's super cute. <laughs> He's really cute. <laughs> I need more on on Johnny's cousin. And he was warm and sweet and just kind of like, yeah. I feel like he was like the tour guide. Yeah. Into, the, into that yeah. life. You know, just the, the opening, again, like the opening of the door to that life and her just not being able to speak after she sees this and sees Johnny, you know, and just the, I carried a watermelon line. I, and then she chastises herself for, for it because it's all she could say. Oh my God. Baby is the greatest <gasps> romantic lead. She's just so relatable and awkward. And Jennifer Gray does such a great job of embodying that. Like, oh, it's, yeah. I love That's it. Second <laughs> guessing the thing you say to the guy you have an epic crush on, you know, after seeing the world he, he runs and, I think it's, yeah, as you said, so relatable, like beyond. Yeah. And Johnny is like negging her hard. He's like not even talking to her directly. He's like, what's she doing here? And then all of a sudden he's like, let me teach you how to grind your hips on my pelvis. Why not? That's I feel like here this, for. this scene was really like the forebear to that um, Julia Styles in <laughs> Save the Last Dance scene oh, yeah. where she's like in the club and like, Bouncing so I, thought her Juilliard, <laughs> I thought you were talking about her Juilliard audition. Which oh, is oh the no, worst no, we, we, yeah, we'll talk about that. that. That is a dance scene that really did I was not age say, well. I have rewatched it recently and it's, I'm upset that I once thought it was good. But yeah, no, I mean, we where she idiots. like, is that just token white girl who like cannot move her body yeah. in any sort of graceful way? I, I'd say Jennifer Gray makes greater strides, but. Yes. I was going to say earlier, <laughs> That dirty dancing ran so so saved the last dance could walk. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like we took a huge step back. We really did. Um, but I do think that there is uh, a similarity, and that's one thing I wanted to talk about here. In that, it fits into a similar genre of like here are here's like a girl who is you know white and some and also Jewish in this case, but you know she has a world open to her that is more diverse and, you know, starts to learn more about the obstacles faced by other people who don't have her privileges. Um, and there is this, this group of people who are a much more diverse group of people who, who show her that and who show us, like, a more vibrant sort of cultural sphere. But they are, like, the background, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, like, such, a, such an, an ongoing issue in in entertainment and like so many from pop music to to film um that like we still see that being sort of framed around like the personal um eye-opening and education of of like a, a white middle class girl um who is then the star of the show um and then but the 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 culture that is bringing new life is is that of people of color. 
Right. But they are the background dancers. Yeah. No, that's definitely something that um, I probably didn't note when I, the you know, in my first years watching and loving this movie and something that feels much more obvious now. And it is like an uncomfortable thing to grapple with. I do think that because of the movie's focus on so, so much of the like cultural landscape of that moment, it does a certainly, I'd say it feels a little less tokenizing than say like Save the Last Dance, which I think in a wow. lot of ways really doesn't hold up. Um, but yeah, I think that you do feel like you're on a journey with someone who has a lot of learning to do. And it's like, it is like at what human cost does her learning get to happen? And I do credit mm. this script with at least levying consequences on someone like Johnny, like baby has an awakening where she's like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to in some capacity, give up my privilege to do what's right. Like I'm going to tell my father that I've been dating Johnny. I'm going to admit to things that will like affect my social standing. And yet Johnny still gets fired. Like I think the movie mm-hmm. does a good job of showing that like babies newly awakened, more honest principles are not enough to change a system. Um, mm-hmm. And that people can still be harmed, even if you personally have like an, you know, a political and cultural awakening. Like you're not necessarily going to positively impact people for whom, um, that awakening wasn't necessary because it's their lived experience. Yeah. And she has that whole, you know, once she tells her father everything and you know, their relationship goes to shit and she goes to Johnny and, and she finds out he's still getting fired. And she's like, so I did this for nothing. Right. She gets so upset because she thought her putting herself on the line would mean that the world would be, but you know, the truth would make the world better. And she realizes mm-hmm. it's not the case for some people. Right. She has certain privileges that were her, you know, or she can say what she needs to say and she'll still be fine and he won't. Um, and the world will yeah. still spin in her favor and not his. And I think it's, you know, I think that it does a good job of sort of showing her a little bit of loss of innocence for somebody who's been very sheltered and, you know, privilege comes with being sheltered, right? It's, it's, she's a privilege to only have seen X, Y, Z out of life. Um, and to think that if you show someone's a good person, that it's all going to be okay for them. Um, and that that way of thinking, it doesn't happen for her in this movie, right? He still gets fired. She, her relationship with her dad goes to ship because she put herself on the line. She realizes this rosy way of thinking, you know, isn't real life, I think. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah, she's just like progressively putting more and more of herself on the line mm-hmm. over the course of the movie. And that's sort of her arc. That's like first she's just asked her dad for some money and he doesn't even think about it because he has money. And then it's like, you need to come see my friend who had a back alley abortion and now you know what I mixed up in. And then it's, I was up all night banging the dance instructor, (laughs) you know, like she's really giving up more and more of, of, of the, the sort of good girl persona that has, that has allowed her to be daddy's girl for so long. And, um, and yeah, it still doesn't always 
doesn't pan out. Get you anywhere. Exactly. And you have to be willing to make those sacrifices anyway. I think that, like, her dad is an, such an interesting character because he's, like, the epitome of the really good-hearted, he's like, great. liberal guy who still doesn't really understand his own prejudices and his own blinders and the way that he sanctions kind of the flirtations of Neil Kellerman, even though he's, like, seems like just a terrible person. <laughs> <laughs> or or Robbie, <laughs> and and is willing very quickly. On the other hand, to see someone like Johnny, um, who isn't in his in group, um, as morally questionable, and and that's sort of at the heart of Baby's journey. Also, is this disillusionment with with her father? I mean, I want to hit some of the key moments with Robbie and Neil. Robbie. After D- Baby tells him that he should really pay for Penny's abortion, he offers her a copy of the Fountainhead that he just carries around <laughs> oh, in his waiting God. uniform to look over at key moments. He's like, and I he's have like, notes in the margins. <laughs> yeah, give it back to me. I have notes in the margins. By the way, whenever a man has ever given me a book unsolicited and then been like, please give Red it back flag. to me, I have notes in the margins. I'm not giving that book back to you. I didn't ask for it. <laughs> yeah. You pushed it on me so I could read your margin notes. No, thank also, you. Also, just I think... Red flag, like a man yes. saying, "I love Anne Rand." Red flag, many, many red flags. Immediate, many. immediate, run the other way. <laughs> and he tells her, "Some people matter, some people don't," which is like honestly almost maybe too on the nose, but I loved it. <sighs> Neil Kellerman, meanwhile, you know, he's bragging that he's going freedom riding, but he treats his staff really demeaningly. He really enjoys that he is Mister Boss Man, that he has all this power over them he at one point he even a girl oh my god okay i don't know if you've heard but (laughs) everyone wants him because he has two hotels yeah i'm the catch of the county your father will be happy if he knows that you're (laughs) with me oh it's so good it's so i love this moment too because he doesn't realize how oblivious it is to try to hit on baby by bragging that he was like picking up another girl like the week before <laughs> and also she it, he's such a great like uh, repellent romantic figure because it is that like classic thing where a man is just like really like hitting all of his high points he's like I'm nailing it I'm telling the lifeguard story I'm talking about how I'm such a good person <laughs> and the whole time baby's face is just like blank like she's dissociating staring yeah. off into the distance not responding and he's like yeah this is going great for me no yeah. sealed the deal <laughs> yeah I love that this story too is is him basically telling someone else's joke and he's so proud of himself he's like the lifeguard asks, what does he have that I don't and she said two hotels and then he laughs and laughs. And I'm like, that's not even your joke, man. Like, you're not impressing anyone right now. Just out here stealing from more talented, creative women is the what I see there. <laughs> uh, I think we should take a quick break, and then we're going to be right back to talk about the abortion subplot. Can you keep up? I like I am so glad that it's finally warming up. And it also means that I just want to have fun this summer and I don't want to be worrying about meal prep. And luckily, I can do something about that with 
factor, especially because they have so many meal options like Protein Plus, Keto, Vegetarian, something for every diet. Their fresh, never frozen meals are ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every single week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Make your whole day delicious. From breakfast to dessert, stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. I love having a few factor meals just sitting in my fridge, especially because I work from home. It's so nice to finish up a taping and not have to figure out what to cook myself. Just look in my fridge and be like, oh, in two minutes, I can be eating mushroom chicken thighs and wild rice or tomato basil chicken risotto or Santa Fe style green chili beef skillet. And they always have a nice like vegetable side. It feels well-balanced. I feel full after, and it's not a headache at all. Head to factormeals.com slash LTSI50 and use code LTSI50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code LTSI50 at factormeals.com slash LTSI50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Oh, I'm so happy the weather is finally turning. If you, like me, have been wanting to update your wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune, then Quince is for you. You can build up a lineup of timeless pieces that will keep you looking effortlessly chic year after year. Like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings right on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, as well as premium fabrics and finishes. I love Quince for all these staples. I mean, linen is my favorite summer fabric. They have so many amazing linen staples. I also found my new go-to like summer running around to the playground in the coffee shop bag. It's the pebbled Italian leather front sling bag. I can just fit a wallet and my phone and my AirPods in it, maybe some lip balm. Absolutely perfect. I'm so obsessed with it. And the price was exactly what I wanted to. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash LTSI for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash LTSI to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash L-T-S-I. And we are back. And we, of course, have to talk about something that is at the literal center of the plot of this movie, which is that Penny needs to have and does have an illegal abortion, which is ultimately does not go well. Um, and something I found really interesting in in reading about the history of this movie in preparation was that Eleanor Bergstein fought really, really hard to keep this as part of the movie and very intentionally put it at the center so that if someone asked to take it out, she would be literally incapable of doing that without like undoing the entirety of the plot. 
Like, can I'm you pretty, imagine you know, what incredible. kind of movie would result from that being edited out? I'm obsessed with this idea. It suddenly <laughs> becomes this weird, disconnected, like, movie where Baby is suddenly dancing with Johnny all the time. And where's Penny? We don't know. Like, she why, just went somewhere. <laughs> why are people mad at Robbie? Who can say? What, why is he Yeah, Robbie's a, a bad guy for reasons. Because he just... He reads the fountainhead. That's the only evidence that he's bad. Like, <laughs> not, yeah, that's honestly. Um, for some reason, he just really wanted Baby to know about Ayn Rand, and <laughs> that's how she knew. Yeah, no, she's she's talked about it pretty openly. She said um, in one interview, I think with Vice, that um, the studio came to her and said, quote, okay, Eleanor, we'll pay for you to go back into the editing room and take the abortion out. And I had always known this day would come and that I could then say, honestly, I would be happy to, but if I take it out, the whole story collapses. There's no reason for baby to help Penny, for her to dance or fall in love with Johnny. None of these things will happen without the abortion. So I simply can't do it, even though I'd be so happy to do what you want. And they lost Iconic. their national Genius. sponsor as, as a result. <laughs> But she was getting this fucking movie made. Well, and she, like, made it a period piece so she could put it. so Because it came out in 1987. Roe versus Wade was a thing, right? You could have a legal, a, a legal abortion. Women could. So people were like, why even make this a subplot, right? Why even make this a movie that sits in 1963 where abortion's illegal? And she sat there and, like, point blank told us what we're all facing now, which is right. it might not always be legal, which is the sickening part of this movie is that you watch this and it's like what should have been a cautionary tale is now coming back again. Right. Um, At the time, I think she was very much like younger generations need to remember that this was the thing so that they don't take the right to safe and legal abortion for granted. And like how chilling is that to watch back now as these rights are under active, active assault as we are on the verge of potentially this week, Roe likely being overturned. Um, it is a really crazy thing to to watch a movie and understand that there were a lot of people who have known for a very long time um, that, you know, our rights were not, were not guaranteed. Um, yeah. I also just, like, love that she used this romantic story as this kind of Trojan horse to talk about these stickier things. And I think it's such a lesson in the way that like pop culture can have such an impact without being like, this is an issues movie where we talk about abortion. Like I think in the initial interviews and commentary about the movie, it wasn't even commented on as much as some of the other elements there. And it's something that I think was always important to Eleanor, but something that she said, like in that same interview with Vice, she said that she didn't really realize how much um, the abortion subplot had impacted women watching until she got a call from Irene Carmone in 2010 to do an interview for Jezebel. And Irene was asking her a lot of questions specifically about the, the abortion and about, you know, the racial issues that the um, that the movie brings up. And in this Vice interview, she said, quote, honestly, that's the only reason I made the damn film. There were plenty of films about love and romance, but if they tried to take those political things out, I wouldn't have knocked myself out to make it. Real people have to have abortions even as they're dancing and falling in love. And real people have to go off to Vietnam or Iraq. And real people are in the streets in Black Lives Matter marches. 
you can't separate a cause from the story of people's romantic or sensual or happy lives. And I just, I love that. It feels like such a mission statement for those of us who are engaged in either like creating more lighthearted narratives or analyzing lighthearted narratives for a living, which is all all three of us. Um, And it's just cool to see how she was like, yeah, I'm just going to like make this movie. I'm going to fucking get it made the way that I want to see it made. And I'm going to like let it just sit there and have its impact. And it like really did. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like, that is like the tagline for the whole, for the movie. Like you can't separate a cause from a story of people's romantic or sensual lives because it is this uh, just a story about how sensuality and social justice are not only two separate things, they're inextricably intertwined. And like at the beginning of the movie, Baby doesn't understand that and neither does her dad and neither does Lisa, you know, none of them really understand that. That It's like their family is in two little halves and there's the Dr. Hausman and baby half. That's just like, all that matters is minors trapped in mine shafts and <laughs> famines and getting a degree in economics of developing nations so that you can fix that. And <laughs> Lisa's just like, all that matters is shoes and whether they match my dress And um, by extension, sort of her mother is the person who is the guardian of feminine uh, beauty with with Lisa. But then over the course of the movie, Baby accesses this this other side of her that cares about music and dancing and, and sex and love and pleasure. And that is the same thing that brings into her life actual real world engagement with injustice and with politics. And those things are, she realizes they aren't separate at all. And that's ultimately even what brings her closer to to her mom and her sister is that she has tapped into that side of herself and she's seen the value of it. And I think that's really beautiful. Like it is, it is something that you can't just take out of the movie because it's the point of the movie mm-hmm. is all of this stuff is, is linked. I just love this movie. Me too. I also love just seeing, you know, Lenny Briscoe and Emily Gilmore together oh. in Wedded Bliss. <laughs> he's so good too. And that scene so where, where he's looking over the lake and she comes to talk to him and says like, you know, he let her down too. And his oh. chin quivers. And I'm like, oh, it's such a good moment. It's that, such a good moment because this is a character for all of his faults. Like he does help Penny without judgment, like without judging her in that moment, right? He comes mm-hmm. to her aid. And I think there's not a lot of doctors who would have done that. You know, I think there is, you see, he's a good man at heart. He just has, he'd like his kid to be in a certain place, um, you know, and she doesn't fit into that mold that he had just prayed she would fit into and that she had fit into for so long. And that moment between them where, you know, where she knows she's let him down, but he's let her down too. is just... Oh my God. That's so good. That is so beautiful. That whole speech is so perfectly delivered. And like, oh my God, I get like choked up just thinking about that scene. It really is, it really is perfect. And the one of the beautiful things about the ending of the movie is that it does ultimately bring baby and her dad back together, right? Like they can have this, maybe they're less tightly linked. You know, they're not like in always going to be in step with each other, but they have a much more honest relationship. And you can see how that honesty will serve both of them moving forward. Like 
that is in part the task of of raising a child to adulthood, right? Is like that letting yeah. go and that saying of I've I've done my job. I've like instilled what I believe are good values in this person and now I need to let them go live those values in the way that they decide. Um yeah. and it's beautiful. It is. I mean, it's a movie about her like breaking out of being daddy's little girl, right? Which is actually very limiting in a lot of ways. And we see that like Lisa can wear lipstick But if baby's wearing it, he's like, take that off your face before your mother sees it. Like, she's expected to to have this, like, sort of infantilized purity that is supposed to go hand in hand with her value system and her social justice causes. And that's actually a way of, like, yeah, of keeping her in her babyhood. And she has to to become an adult woman and have that moment where Johnny is, like, my partner— Frances Hausman. That's her oh. real name. She's a woman. She's not a baby. Also, nobody puts baby in a corner. Nobody. But, but her mother shines in this moment because that is the side of Frances that her mother actually relates to. She's like, you know, Frances is up there doing her, her womanly dance on stage. Her husband is getting up to intervene, I guess. And she's like, Jake, sit down. Like, this is not something you need to intervene in. Like, this is fine. I actually see myself in Frances right now, and there is value in what she is doing here. Like, she she is able to, to see that side of herself and her daughter at that moment. She's and like in I feel awe like, of her daughter. Yeah. yeah. And her whole family is, like, better off, too, because then Lisa is closer to her father because he hasn't idealized one daughter at the expense of the other, who does you know, seem like kind of she sucks because she wants to get a maid fired because her lipstick is broken. (laughs) But maybe she's learning to be a better person (laughs) through the course of of this film as well. At the end, she's dancing with Billy, so she can't be that bad. There's hope for her yet. Yeah, I have hope for Lisa. I do too. I do too. Lisa's Um, just trying to decorate the world and um, we have to respect that oh I felt for Lisa in that that moment uh that's early in the movie when was it Robbie so they're talking to Robbie and her father is saying Francis is gonna or baby's gonna save the world and they're like well what are you gonna do Lisa oh Lisa's gonna decorate it knife just right into chest twist <laughs> rude as fuck. so rude and with that innocent little look on her face I know Should we talk about the chemistry between our two leads and what's really at the center of this movie, which is we've been dancing around a little bit, but let's just like get into the love story. I mean, Patrick Swayze and Jennifer Grey have some of the most insane on-screen chemistry that I've maybe ever seen. It's so hot. It's so hot. It's out of control. Oh, my God. Maybe it's partly because they didn't like each other that much. And so there is something. There's some crackle in the air between them. I saw an interview with with Patrick Swayze's widow talking about how in that moment when he would get frustrated, she was like, you got to use it. And she's like, isn't it interesting how there is this kind of like fine line between frustration and anger and just like insane romantic passion and how that... They were like the the direction of the movie was like helped along by that. And the director of the movie um was a documentary filmmaker. And so he did capture certain scenes that yes. were just 
really what happened between the two of them um, and and use them in the fictional narrative. Like, Allison, I, I saw yesterday when you were preparing, you posted a little video on Instagram of the iconic scene where they are practicing the dance and Baby keeps laughing as Johnny is, like, sensually dragging his hand. <laughs> it's like it's a little side across, boob. Yeah, a little <laughs> side boob graze. And she just starts giggling every single time. And I always found that scene to be like so captivating. Like, oh my God, so realistic. Who wouldn't laugh when someone's like this hot guy is like side, tickling, their boob. tickling their boob and like right under the armpit, which is a really ticklish place. And then you learn, you're like, oh no, that he was really frustrated and she really couldn't stop giggling. And um the director was just like, yeah. keep so rolling. And then they used it. And then that lo- whole lover boy scene too was like yeah. rehearsal. Yeah. That was just them on rehearsal. And it's so wildly, weirdly sexy. Like weirdly sexy. Yeah. I, I read something that said they were like getting into character. And I was like, wow, they really committed to getting into character. I was like, I didn't know that what I wanted was a man to like crawl on the ground and mime lyrics to me. But like, it turns yeah. out it is. I don't know. But is it? Because, like, if that happened in real life, I would no, definitely yeah, like, laugh. Yeah, I'm picturing Adam doing that now, and I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> yeah. no, don't do that. But, but Patrick's I mean, lazy. Huh? I think part of this whole romance is her being, as I said, <laughs> trained and initiated, but, like, into taking this shit seriously. Like, at first we see a lot of her laughing, and then by their seduction dance scene after the botched abortion she is not laughing she's like yes we are stroking each other's neck sensually and I am dipping my head back and letting my hair fall almost to the floor and like none of this is funny at all and they get out of that car though I was watching this scene when they get out of the car right before they learn about the botched abortion and they've had this sort of she's dressed she's They've had their kind of weird dance where they did okay, but she didn't do the lift. And she's changing in the back of the car as he drives home. And he's kind of catching glimpses of her in the back seat. She jumps over to the mm-hmm. front seat to sit next to them. They drive up. And as he like opens a door for her and like, they're kind of holding, they're like holding hands. It's so interesting. You feel like something's maybe about to happen, but then there's the botched abortion. And they do, the movie does such a great job of like, making you lean in and think they're going to be together. It's this really nice slow burn, I think, Mm -hmm. that we don't sometimes get enough. And, you know, by the time she shows up at his door and it's like, you know, I'm worried that I'll never feel this way again. She says it better. I'm watching that line. Um, It's like... You buy it by that point because we have had that more subtle build. And I do wonder if those sort of like found moments that were captured and used really allow the cheesier parts to land well because like so much of it does feel so natural like you're like I would be scared if some dude was like come walk on this log I'd be like no thank you (laughs) this seems dangerous or like if someone's tickling my side boob I would be laughing hysterically and so yeah yeah, it just makes it, it it allows you to buy into their connection so much more because you feel like baby is like sort of has this wry self-awareness about how ridiculous the whole thing is yeah and it's like it's a trust building like relationship right like and part of that is laughing together and also part of it is dancing on a log together being terrified and he doesn't let you fall 
right? Like we see that all happen. And you can take the ridiculous corny moments, which are the most iconic ones, and be like, wow, this movie is so cheesy. But you would never, yeah, you would never buy those moments if you hadn't seen them laughing together, like dancing together on the log. Because what you're really attaching to is the way that you see two people like developing that trust for each other and that comfort together. They do a good job of like the and summer, right? And summer, summer, the summer fling of it all, but also like Mm. his kind of brokenness and his, I think what was interesting about his character is to learn that like he would kind of fall for these women who we realized were using Mm -hmm. him. And you expect a character like that to just use women to just have their beautiful. And this will be the first woman he's ever fallen for. And that'll be baby. And, but I think it was such an interesting character moment when he's like, you know, these beautiful women and they take interest in me. and, And then I realized they're using me and he was hurt by that. And I think there's something you all, you just want to hug his character when you learn that, right? Yeah. And I think that that was in, an interesting, I wasn't expecting that. I agree. And you do see mm-hmm. baby even in that moment, make the assumption of like, or make the assumption of like, oh, so you were just like using them. Like, I get it. Like, maybe I'm different, but I get what you were doing. And he's like, no, 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 you're misunderstanding the point of this story. Like, I was a symbol for these women who had more money and more privilege than I yeah. do. And like, I was their prop. And that isn't, that isn't really a role that we often see men being put into. And so it does like offer, I think, greater depth to the character. And like you, especially I think as a woman, you can connect to that story and like feel for him. Yeah, he and Penny are both presented as being sort of, like, adjacent to sex work in that way, that, like, they are there Mm -hmm. to entertain using their bodies and that the guests or the shitty waiters, like Robbie, will want to... will see them as sexually available, essentially, and will not take them into account as, like, human beings with feelings attached to their bodies. And But they don't see themselves that way. Like, they don't see themselves as sexually available as part of their work. And and that's been abused for both of them. Um, I, yeah, I I feel like that's, like, such a classic romance novel twist, too. To be like, you think that he's a bad, like, that he's a rake or, like, a playboy. But he actually is just so broken he's and wounded by all the beautiful women who loved him. Boy. Sensitive. <laughs> he's so sensitive. sensitive. Like when he, like when, when, um, baby goes to apologize and opens that door and he's like sitting on the bed with Penny with like its head between his legs, clearly like so upset. It's just, he's so sensitive. So oh sensitive. my God. Patrick Swayze and, is just perfect. God. I, I can't believe they wanted Billy Zane for this oh. role. Like, yeah, it couldn't be anyone but Patrick Imagine. Swayze. And no, so Eleanor Bernstein was right. Though. Do we think Sarah Jessica Parker would have like, I mean, I don't think there's no one else who can be in these two roles. Like that's why this movie works. But I just, I, uh, that was when I was like, I could see it. I I get why they would go after Sarah Jessica for this role. It it, it does make sense. And she did, she's been in, you know, girls just want to have fun. Great dance movie. Um, But yeah, it just had to be Jennifer Gray. Yeah. (laughs) It just had to be be her. She's like, it had to be her. She has that, self-serious side that you see come out in like her role in Ferris Bueller's Day Off mm-hmm. where she's just like so acerbic and kind of she dour. has an edge yeah she has mm-hmm. an edge and I think that's why the baby character 
works. Like she uses her edge as armor and that armor is, is broken down along with a lot of her like preconceptions about herself and the, yeah. the world. And, and she's like proving that she has edge here. I think that's what's so interesting. You know, she just wants to prove to the world that she's not just this baby, right? That's her, her goal is to prove that she's more than what she was brought up as or what people, who people think she is. Yes. Yeah. Also, I just want to touch on this because it's important to me. She is like my style icon in this movie. Oh my god, that bodysuit and the <gasps> jeans. That's oh. what I I texted Claire about that, that outfit. Peach. I was like, I yes. need that pink bodysuit and those jean shorts and the Keds. So I oh. the Keds. The the only reason I own Keds is because of this movie. Like I just want to be Jennifer Grey in white Keds, like and an A line knee length skirt and like a little crop T shirt. That's all I want in life. She makes and me to, want to wear bang, a white the jeans. The curly bangs. Yeah. The she hair really is your perfection. like. I feel like she's your like hair soul sister. Claire. Yeah, but her hair, her hair does it curls in a way that I think my hair curls, but it actually doesn't. So you can see my bangs on this taping. They're not curly, and in my mind, if I cut bangs, they look like Jennifer Grey's. They're just like <laughs> you know beautiful little ringlets, and my hair is just sort of wavy. So she is an icon and. I, I aspire. Um, so her, she's supposed to be actually sort of like not stylish. Like that's her, she's like the, the ingenue, but also sort of like, she doesn't fit in. She's not the pretty girl, like her sister. She, her sister at one point is like, I always like used to look up to you. I was like, baby's weird. Like her hair sticks out. She dresses funny, but she's better than me. And I was like, well, she also is cuter. Like, also. I don't know. Her style is just better. Her sister's hair is so bad the whole film, by the way. It's like, so sixties. So yeah. Bad. That's the thing about doing this kind of period piece is like Jennifer Grey has hair that's very 80s. And it's like, well, that's not cute for the 60s. And her sister has good 60s hair, but it looks very stiff and like artificial by the 80s, which is all about perms. Oh my God. Yeah. Ahead of her time. Yes. Truly, truly. Truly. Uh, so I think we've come to a point where it's time to do final thoughts about this movie because otherwise we're just going to keep going. I know. Day. I'm like struggling to wrap up because I just love everything <laughs> about the movie. And so I'm like, let me tell you about this other thing that I really like about it and this other moment that I just personally want to talk about. But I think, God, overall, this is just such a great example of the summer summer romance genre. It mm-hmm. hits so many of those like feel good tropes while also really being a movie that has weight behind it. Like there is so much to tease out and it does it in such, such a smart and sharp way. And like, I will forever be a little bit in love with Patrick Swayze as a result of, of seeing this Mm -hmm. film at a formative time. Yeah. Allison, how do you feel about Patrick Swayze? Would you like, is that your type? If his ghost shows up, you're in. <laughs> uh, yes, just in. I mean, hundred. I feel like Patrick Swayze is everyone's type in this movie. I think mm. even a man might melt. It is just there's just something a little bit broken and perfect and sexy and accessible about him. There's a sensitivity yeah. and a vulnerability that I think male leads at that time are really afraid to go there, and he went there. And it, there's a reason that this movie is iconic. I think it is 
a lot Jennifer Gray, and I think it's a lot him. Like, and and I think the important, I think the fact that it's smart is why it holds the test of time, and we can watch it now. We're not throwing that many stones, which is rare, by the way. Mm-hmm. So look back mm-hmm. at these at these romance or rom coms and say how it holds up. Like, it's rare, but that chemistry is like even more rare, especially for a movie in you know the '80s. Like, they could have gone all cheese, and it just. The fact that we're watching it and still swoon. I mean, I think I texted all caps yesterday. I'm a, like swoon. Like it's just you swoon. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And he's really not my type in the traditional sense. Like Same. he's so like square jawed and buff and like blonde. But yeah, he, you can't help but fall in love with him because of that vulnerability that you're describing. And even like the cheesy dance moves, I'm like you know what? Yeah, I'm I'm in. I would, I would be on board. Yeah. Women everywhere believe that they can do a lift if they just <laughs> hang out in the water for long enough. Um, this is a myth. I'm going to put it out there. <laughs> Requires other skills. I did, during research for this episode, watch a, a 2018 Super Bowl ad that I had missed that is a riff on the final dance sequence featuring Eli Manning and Odell Beckham Jr. And Eli Manning does lift Odell Beckham Jr. into the air. Okay, so if you are a professional athlete, they're you just can very do strong. This. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to be strong and you have to trust each other, right? Trust is so important. Um, that's my main takeaway from this movie. <laughs> Also, just the perfect summer movie. Apparently, it was filmed in autumn in Virginia and North Carolina, and the weather was actually it was quite inconsistent, cold for a lot of it, and then too hot in North Carolina. But the impression that it gives of just a true like summer, so many summer storms, like so much like steamy looking rain, and like the hair frizz that Lisa Lisa gets from all the rain, and like. You know, you're inside and you're hot, but there's rain pattering on the windows and you're doing a jigsaw puzzle. It just, like, you can almost smell the cabin and, like, the rain on the trees. It's just, like, the essence of of summer. And after this, I think that these resorts are going to have a comeback because I am going to to want to do this every summer. Like, what an amazing thing to do with your family, too. Like, yeah, as a parent, I'm like, I want to go to one of these places and right. pay a lot for dance lessons and <laughs> probably not sleep in my in my room at all. <laughs> exactly. I mean, honestly, it sounds like a, I'm not a parent, but this looks like a gift to parents. You're like, we can all go together. My kids will be taken care of. I will get to hang out with my friends. There's good food. I don't have to cook it. Like, seems like great. Like summer camp for kids and adults. Why exactly. do we not have this? Yeah. Um, yeah. So new mission, new mission, guys, bringing this back. I'm just saying, <laughs> that's my number one priority. Yeah, yeah. Um, so before we wrap up, we wanted to give each of the movies that we cover in this mini series a little, a little summer loving rating. I think this one we're gonna do out of ten watermelons. That feels appropriate. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like this one gets like. Not 9.5 watermelons. Is it a perfect 10? I don't know. I don't want to like blow my wad too soon. (laughs) I agree. I mean, this is a perfect summer romance movie. I think it's just like a big slice of perfectly ripe watermelon on your plate at the barbecue. Yeah, I'm going to say nine out of 10 watermelons. 
since since this is I'm a visitor, I'm saying ten out of ten. <laughs> yeah, you're like I have nothing to lose. I have nothing to lose. This just ten out of ten. It's uh, you just you leave that movie and you feel fucking great. Yes. Yes. Oh, that that's it. I felt so incredible. I immediately started watching it again, and ooh, it was a great decision. I think we're going to wrap up with Love to See It, Hate to See It, which we haven't done in a little while, but we got to get back in the groove before Bachelorette. So let's start with Hate to See It. This might be a tough one. It was really hard for us to find anything we hated to see, honestly. I think I am <laughs> going to have to go back to what we talked about before and and just like, this is, you know, years and years ago and conversations being had in the mainstream about this are much different than they were at the time. But it is an example of, like, the culture and the people um, who make the culture, people of color, being sort of used as um, props and background for, like, a white lead couple um, and main characters. And that was one of the biggest knocks on the movie for me, watching it in 2022. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I think the only other thing we kind of picked out was that there was a little bit of an effort made, like specifically with Penny, where she kind of has to make it clear to Baby and by way of Baby, the audience, that she didn't sleep with Robbie just because she was out here slutting around. Yeah. (laughs) She slept with Robbie (laughs) because she thought he loved her. Uh, And it does sort of betray a need to justify why a character like Penny um, would have been sleeping with someone. And that definitely felt a little bit, yeah, a little bit dated. But overall, like, God, this movie is really fucking good. Not a lot, not a lot to hate. Let's move on to the more fun part, which is things we love to see. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Baby's perfect fashion forever, like, very important part of this movie for me and and her curly bangs. Very important. <laughs> Absolutely. Also, the freaking soundtrack and the fact that they did such a good job of mixing, like, actual songs from the 60s with newer ballads. Obviously, there's I've Had the Time of My Life, which was made for the movie um, as an original and I believe won an Oscar, potentially. Um, it should have. I think it did. Yes. And also the fact that Eleanor Bergstein wrote the specific songs into the initial script. And they had mm-hmm. to work really hard on a shoestring budget to license all of these very specific songs. Because Eleanor was like, nope, this is what we need. There is no movie without the songs that I wrote this movie to include. And I just, and I love Swayze that. Scene. But uh, that song, like she's like the wind, whatever. That's him. Yeah, that was his yeah. song. Yeah, that, so that was one of the contemporary ones at the time. It's what you could say it's anachronistic to have those 1980 songs, but I think that it creates a beautiful sense of timelessness. That it is works. part of the film's appeal. But I think that in contrast with that, like weird sort of anachronism that people sometimes whine about is that like you said she handpicked all those songs for the the moments in the script and you can tell like the specificity like sometimes Patrick Swayze is like mouthing along with the lyrics yeah. we all remember the scene of course where they're they're lip syncing to to that duet um in the studio and 
that gives the film such a great sense of like texture that I feel like now so much is often done in post with movies and like music is being changed and this and that and like Dirty Dancing is the antithesis of that. It's so good. Yeah, there is a reason that the soundtrack went on to like top charts. Um, Something else we love to see, as we've talked about before, the absolutely smoldering chemistry between our leads. I don't think we have to talk any more about it because we already have said a lot, but like, so good. We love to see it. The dancing, love the dancing. Tens across the board (laughs) for me. Even even at the Sheldrake. it was perfect for 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 what it was. I love that they didn't have Baby nail that dance too hard in her first time out because you need to know that it's hard to be a professional mambo dancer. It's also the kind of dancing where like they made her get very good, but not to the level of Penny and Johnny. Like it it felt like a heightened version of of what one could like realistically learn if you were practicing very hard for for a month. And also the dancing, like, they just all look like they're having a great time. And I think that's such a key, key part of it. Something else we love to see is, of course, Baby's speech telling her dad that, you know, he taught her these high ideals, but calling him out for not really showing and living those ideals in the way that he, like, purported to be. Um, And, yeah, just that line, I'm sorry, but you let me down too. Freaking tearjerker. Parents are humans. They're not infallible. Okay. <laughs> Claire's like, note to Max. I, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure yeah. I'm letting you down in some way, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's a healthy part of growing up. Uh, I love seeing baby's mom, Marge, getting her moment um, when, when her dad can't quite understand baby anymore because he's blinded by his own preconceived notions of who she should be. And Marge is like, step back, Jake, I got this. (laughs) That's my daughter. (laughs) Such a great moment. And finally, I just love the entire ending sequence. Like it does offer this kind of alternative, very rainbow-like vision of what the future could hold. But it works, like the cheesiness of it works. And it's just, you get to see everyone dancing together, crossing cultural and class lines by way of just this like joyful movement. And it's beautiful. And in the center of it all, baby and Johnny making out. (laughs) And her dad is like, I'm fine with this now because he did not get Penny pregnant. (laughs) And so it's good. Um, I love it. Uh, Allison, were there any moments that you wanted to add? I mean, you you really covered them. I think that <laughs> I know we were like every moment in the movie, every, was literally the moment. every moment. But that end scene is just amazing. And when he's singing "Time of My Life," like and mouthing those few little words to her, it is just so sexy. I mean, I it's just, it's a moment that could be so cheesy, and it's wildly sexy. I just can't. Emma, Emma's just like, yeah. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I gotta watch eyes. it again. I just this, that scene. Uh, it's everything. This movie is like the triumph of of cheesy. It's like, yeah, cheesy can be sexy. Cheesy and persevering. We're gonna make you feel it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not everything needs to be cool, okay? It can still be really sexy. That's it for Love to See It with Emma and Claire. Thanks to our guest, Allison Greenberg. Love to See It is produced by us, Claire Fallon and Emma Gray and Stitcher. This episode was edited by Tamika Weatherspoon. 
Our theme music is by Tamar Haviv, and our art is by Celine Chang. Josephine Martirana is our executive producer. If you like the show, please rate us five stars and leave a review. And of course, help us spread the word about our show, especially to your friends who used to listen to us as Here to Make Friends. If you want to get in touch, you can always email us at clarenemmapod at gmail.com with your questions, voice memos, suggestions for other shows or movies you'd like to see us cover in the Bachelor offseason. You can also find us on Twitter and TikTok at Love to See It Pod and Instagram at Claren Emma Pod. And you can find our newsletter, Rich Text, on Substack at ClarenEmma.substack.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Emma Lady Rose. And I'm at Claire E. Fallon. Stitcher. Every Stearns & Foster mattress is handcrafted with the finest materials for irresistible comfort every single night. Now, save up to $800 on select adjustable mattress sets only at StearnsAndFoster.com. Lesser savings may apply. Saving money on everything for your projects. Now at Menards. We have it all for garden and landscaping essentials. Visit our outdoor garden center today and update your backyard space. Grid accents lattice panels have a timeless design with an innovative design that's simple to install and requires almost no maintenance. Save big on lattice panel options at Menards. View our entire selection of garden center products today on Menards.com. Save big.